Today's guest is widely recognized as the world's leading expert on personal and organizational productivity. Time magazine called today's book the definitive self-help book of the decade. We welcome the international best-selling author of Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. It is a huge pleasure to welcome David Allen. Thanks, Aidan. Thanks for the invitation. This version is a total rewrite of the first edition of Getting Things Done. You retyped the original manuscript, start to finish with the goal of identifying and revising content and language that was either you thought incomplete, outdated or otherwise. And a lot has changed since 2001 over the last 20 years. But if anything, we need this book more than ever. I'd love to get your take on what you've seen change, David, over the last 20 years since you first published Getting Things Done. Well, it's timeless stuff. So the methodology really hasn't changed. My understanding of it uh, matured a, a little bit, and it got more subtle and more universal in terms of the principles. The principles will be true 150 years from now, like they were true 100 years ago. So it's, it's timeless stuff. Uh, what's changed really is the need and the audience has changed for it because, you know, when I first wrote the first edition, you know, after my 25 years in the sort of corporate training and consulting and coaching world, it was really targeted for the fast track professionals. They were the ones in, you know, 2000 that were being hit by the tsunami of email and also flattened organizations and fast change going on in the corporate world. And so they were the ones most uh, in need, essentially, of, of air to breathe, <laughs> you know, essentially. And, you know, my stuff delivered that and they were a ripe audience for it. So the, the first book, first edition was really targeted for those kind of folks. Uh, and uh, but I even then I knew it worked for the clergy it worked for students it worked for stay at home dads it worked for doctors it worked for anybody, anybody who had a busy life. You know, it would allow you to handle it a lot more easily, you know, and with a lot more fun and flexibility. Uh, but again, the first book was sort of targeted to that, the ripest audience for what we were writing it for. But then over the last 20 years, or certainly the next 15, I decided it was time for a rewrite because the, the audience initially, um, I'd say 10% professionals really, really needed it and might be hungry for it. You know, by 2015, I'd say 85% of the professionals really needed it and were really hungry for it. You know, as as people were, you know, being tasked, and now you got to manage yourself because I don't have the time to hold your hand as your manager. I'm not even your manager anymore. You know, uh, good luck, <laughs> sink or swim. And so the need for people to sort of self-manage in a more sophisticated way in a very busy world you know, add to that the speed and volume that the digital world has provided with social media, et cetera, and all that. Um, you know, and, and nothing's really changed in terms of technology so much as, other than speed and volume. You know, now you get a lot more stuff in a lot faster time than you ever had, and you have access to it much more easily. Uh, so, but that was, they, they thought the telephone was going to ruin the world, you know, back in 1910. So, you know, <laughs> so, so essentially nothing new over, you know, change that then produces people being uncomfortable with, oh, my God, there's new stuff and I'm going to have to change what I do and how I do it. Uh, it there's really, you know, Aiden, and you could probably, as you know, since you've got innovation in the title of your podcast, you can probably relate to the fact that there's nothing new except how frequently things are. Right. I mean, how many times? How many times did your parents have to totally rethink their life and lifestyle and careers? Right? Maybe two, three, four times. Like, who knows? You know, how many times do you and I had to think our lifestyle and our careers? You know, it, it monthly. <laughs> you know, and especially with the pandemic happening, you know, in the last year or two, you know, a lot of people have had to really, really rethink, you know, what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, and that just, that just makes GTD show up in spades because that's the time it really it really shines is when you can when you have the tools then to reconfigure regroup recalibrate refocus um you know that's that's what i uncovered these many years ago was the methodology and the process essentially that we all need to do to sort of maintain ourselves and maintain air and breathing room on a daily basis one of the things that you said there was the room to breathe because 
you say this with your work, your very measurable output is productivity. But one of the things you do is you want to create room for people to think. And you know, you mentioned so many great quotes, there's one in there from Camus, Albert Camus was like, if you want to understand the world, you got to step away from it every so often. And this is one of the things that I think is so important from an innovation perspective, is giving ourselves the room to think the room to breathe in order to think. Not only that, Aiden, you know, anybody listening or watching this right now, let me ask you, how important do you think being creative is? Being strategic, being innovative, being loving, being present, right? Um, and most people call those golden goodies. But how much time does it take to have a good idea? Zero. How much time does it take to be creative? Zero. How much time does it take to be innovative or loving or present? Zero. Those things do not require time, but they do require a very important thing, room. If you're tied up, if you're wrapped around the axle about some meeting that went south this morning, it's hard to tuck your kids into bed and be present. It's hard to even cook spaghetti and be present. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're still distracted by that. And I got into all this because I was, I'm a great lover of freedom. I'm a great lover of not having to be distracted by anything. I don't have to. But as life, my life got more complex, I said, hmm, <laughs> pretty easy to stay distracted out here with a lot of stuff, you know, that could be considered important stuff. So I got hungry for to, to uncover. I didn't make up these techniques in GTD. I, I recognized them. I recognized these best practices we do when we get our kitchen under control or our company under control. Uh, I just identified them, made them more objective, so that you could then use them and 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 be better at them. One of the things I taught David, which you nailed there, is this is not just about productivity, but it's a bit being more engaged in your work in the first place. And I I think that needs to be called out because I know that that comes through in spades. But when somebody looks at the cover, they may go, Oh, this is a productivity book, but it's about much more than that. It's about having a better life. Well, it's about being appropriately engaged with all of your commitments with yourself. And a lot of them in include other people, but they're all with yourself. How do I appropriately engage with my cat with my health, with my partner, with my business, with my bank account, with my how do I appropriately engage with anything? It's about appropriate engagement. It doesn't get doesn't mean get more engaged. Sometimes appropriate engagement means stop. <laughs> you know, get out of Instagram. Jeez. You know, sometimes that's appropriate engagement is to not do something as opposed to see productivity, as you know, Aiden, it's got a bad rap. It's got a bad, you know, everybody thinks that means work harder, sweat more, spend more time, more hours, you know, produce more. And sometimes produce more, but produce more what? If you go on a vacation to relax and you don't relax, that's an unproductive vacation. How about producing relaxation? How about producing happiness? How about producing, you know, relax, just relaxation or, or, or uh, uh, you know, more conscious and, and, and loving relationships? Those are all the essence of what we, what many of us want to be doing. And they say, is that productivity? It's like, of course. Sometimes the most productive thing you can do is take a nap. Because to your point, and now the cognitive scientists have now recognized this in the last decade anyway, a lot of science research has now proven if you don't let your brain rest, you're screwed. You're going you're gonna to not, not take a test as well. You're not going to be as, as creative as, as you could be. You're not going to do anything as well as you could if your brain is, is, is burning out. And if you're not getting seven to eight to nine hours of sleep a night, and uh, and you're you're not you're you're having three cups of coffee instead of taking a nap, you're probably not optimal in terms of how you think. And so, to your point about gee, yeah, I'd like to be more creative. I need to be more strategic. I need to be more consciously focused on what I on what I need to do and how I need to do it. You need room, and that room can be. You know, GTD produces how do I get rid of a lot of the distractions or the, all the distractions essentially that are pulling on my attention so I can focus on something without being distracted by all the other stuff, but also giving you room to take a nap. One of the things you said that so spoke to me so much, and I see it everywhere, is one of the great paradoxes of this millennium 
is that we have a better standard of living than ever before, but at the same time, we're overloaded and more stressed than ever before. Well, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a big researcher in all that whole area, but from what I read, essentially by a lot of people's standards, we're no more productive no matter how. As a matter of fact, now, Aiden, if you were the only person who had Microsoft Word and Excel, you know, and you were the only one who had them, you would you would so tear apart your competitors about anything. The problem is they all have those too, right? So as the technology has increased and your ability to get stuff done has increased, so it has it for everybody else, right? Which has you know kind of the double effect that it it means you got that many more people sort of as peers that are engaging with you or wanting to engage with you in some way, shape, or form for what they're doing, you know. As well as, uh, you know, that that you need to, you know, it's the fear of missing out. The FOMO, the fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on. Oh my God! I, what what if I missed this last thing that I the technology came up with or whatever? And a lot of it is the is the the stress of opportunity. You know, if you were in survival mode, it reduces your options a lot. <laughs> you know, how do I live? How do I eat? How do I get water? You know, or how do I get out of this fire? How do I get out of this whatever? And a lot of people are in that uh, right now. So in a way, that simplifies your life because it doesn't give you, oh, my God, how, my kids. But I want them to get into the best colleges. Well, that means they should be listening to Mozart by the time they're three years old because the neighbors are doing that. And they're taking, oh, my God, what are we? Oh, my God. It's one of the funny things I find about successful people is they they care less as they become more successful about what others think. It's a great paradox. It's almost like it's the secret you, you realize when when you become successful is like, going, I don't give a crap about other people. And actually, that is such a relief from a cognitive load perspective. And that that is one of the huge things I took from your book is having a place for things and being able to put them in the right place in a cognitive perspective. And I love your metaphor of the bucket is like, plugging the holes in the bucket. So you're not losing this cognitive effort, and you can focus it more productively, even if that's just being present. I don't know that anybody else has come up with the definition of being organized like I did. But being organized just means that where something is matches what it means to you. You know, if you got a whole bunch of crap you don't want to deal with, you know, all you have to do is get a big cardboard box and label the crap I don't want to deal with and put all the crap <laughs> you don't want to deal with in there, you walk free, you're clear. Because that's all the crap I don't want to deal with. If you don't do that, you've got crap you don't want to deal with all covering your life and covering your whole life, as opposed to that's what that is. You know, that's why there's a someday maybe list in my methodology. I might want to do that, but not now. Park that there. So you need a parking lot for those kind of things. But that's a very specific. That means a certain specific thing. So you need to organize that in that specific way. So whether you label it or not, you needed to have it somewhere. You know, come on, your calendar is a label. How about Friday? That's a label. <laughs> There's a really great exercise you share here. I'm going to quote a lovely quote here from you. You said, anything you consider unfinished in any way must be captured in a trusted system outside your mind, or what you call a collection tool that you know, you'll come back to regularly and sort through. And here you introduce an important exercise, a simple exercise to test this model. And perhaps you'd share that with us. This is the, the write down a project tool. Well, just take anybody listening or watching this. If you if you haven't started to implement GTD already, I mean, all you have to do, it doesn't take but a few seconds to start to implement it. Yeah, you know, all you need are, are these really high tech tools. <laughs> no, no Wi-Fi required, no batteries required. It's a new a whole new thing. It's called, wow, paper and pen. God, what a concept. And uh, get yourself a paper, piece of paper and a pen and, you know, take the next 30 seconds and write down the five things that are on, most on your mind, aside from listening to me and Aiden. Right. If you stop listening to us right now, what's most got your attention? I need cat food. I need a vice president of marketing. I need to figure out whether we should adopt or not. I need. Right. Just write down the top five or 10 things. How long would that take? Eh, half a minute. You know, if you were honest with yourself. Then take the next half a minute and go through each one and go, well, okay, if that's the only thing I had to finish or complete or deal with in my life, what's the next thing I need to do? Where would I need to go? 
oh, I need to surf the web about that. Oh, I should talk to my life partner about that. Oh, I need to buy cat food at the store. I don't know. You decide what the next action is, but it's probably something you actually haven't figured out yet about those things. Otherwise, otherwise it wouldn't be on your mind. At least it wouldn't be on your mind if you had decided those and still uh, and had parked the, those reminders. This is some cat food to pick up when I'm at the store. Here's the agenda to talk to my life partner about. Here's where that goes. Here's where my next step on hiring a vice president is, you know, I need to call McGregor and see what he did because he did something similar to that. Let me, let me chat with him. So if you figured those things out and park those reminders in a place you trust, you will see those reminders in the appropriate way. Guess what? Even though they may be big issues, adopt or not, hire the vice president or not, you know, cat <laughs> star, star, starve or not. I don't know. You know, whatever those are, no matter how important they are, they're off your mind. But until your mind trusts the system is better than it, it cannot let go. So let's talk about that, because there's a couple of lines I pulled here that I loved. So you said in training and coaching the many thousands of individuals you have, you find lack of time is not the major issue. But the real problem is lack of clarity and definition about what the project really is, and what associated next action steps are required, just like you told us there. Here's the killer line I pulled getting things done requires two basic components. One, what done actually means, what's the outcome? And two, what doing looks like, what's the action? And these are far from self evident for most people about most things they have at their attention. That was a fundamental awareness you know, that I came to over all those years. Uh, and really realize, and then see, first, first of all, for myself, and I had you know, a couple of great mentors, the one who really taught me about outcome and action thinking, mostly about next action thinking. But then I added the outcome aspect to it, which was as important as well, which is, well, wait a minute, what's, what does done mean? You know, and most people, those of you listening or watching this right now, unless you're a really a well-practiced GTDer, I would suggest I'll challenge you to pull out whatever you consider your to-do list. And what you're going to see are, what you won't see are outcomes and actions. What you'll see is stuff that, good thing you captured, mom, bank, VP, tooth, cat, you know, karate, karate lessons. I don't know. And great. That, that's the first step, which is to identify stuff that does have a spin in your head. But then, then if that's all you've got on your list, then looking at that list creates as much stress as it relieved. Because you're reminding yourself there are decisions you haven't finished or finalized yet, thinking you haven't done yet. And you go, oh, God, I, I don't have time to even think and decide about anything right now. Don't, don't even look, want to look at my list. As opposed to looking at a list called, hey, here's my errands I need to run. Here's the things I need to talk to my, my wife or my husband about or my partner about. Here's the things that I need to do on next time I'm on the web and have some discretionary time. Those become more attractive things to then deal with rather than mom, bank, tooth, VP, <laughs> adopt question. You know, and I'm not saying this makes life easy. It makes it a lot easier to engage with. I mentioned about the cognitive bucket, so the holes in the bucket. And th this was a huge, I didn't get this the last time I read the book, actually, and probably because I've... I've experienced much more challenges, like you said, over those over those years. But I loved the thoughts on horizontal and vertical action management. And maybe you'll help us here. And, and what you say here is the short term memory part of your mind is a focusing tool, not a storage place. And I often do that I, I kind of hold things in working memory. And what I didn't realize is actually I'm using up that cognitive capacity for other things. So I'm not fully present on the action I'm actually doing. You have a certain amount of cognitive real estate, right? That's it. And the problem is, if you're keeping stuff in your head, your head's just a really shitty office. I mean, pardon my French, but it, it really is. It, it doesn't, your brain did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships between more than four things. That's new science, cognitive science data. Your brain evolved to do some very sophisticated stuff, which is doing right now, which is using long-term memory and pattern recognition to say, that's a computer, that's a light, that's a sound, that's a thing. 
And that's a book as opposed to vibrations of light and sound. Your brain evolved to do some very, very cool stuff. But you go to the store for lemons, you come back with six things and no lemons. Oh, shit, what happened? You know, you tried to use your head to try to remember and remind it. It wasn't designed to do that. <clears throat> so your your head, you know, as you know, I've said, you know, your head's for having ideas, but not for holding them. Uh, and so most people are trying to use their head to they're trying to use their head to manage the relationships and prioritizations and, and reminders of uh, in their life. And that's why people are burning out. It, it doesn't it doesn't make life easy. It doesn't make <clears throat> the pandemic something you don't have to worry about or be concerned about. You know, it just means how do I appropriately engage now with this new situation that, that I'm now in? So David, before before we move on to the core process, the five step step uh, method, I I really wanted to talk about some of the things you you mentioned later on in the book, which were, for example, one thing in this age of virtual workspaces, or even hoteling, as you mentioned, you call it, or this idea of hot desking. One of the things I took from the book is you need a, a mirror of your workstation at home. And even when you're in transit, you need that control station in order to almost trigger yourself towards action. I'd love your thoughts on this, because I think this is a real challenge for a lot of organizations. Now, some of those organizations listening will actually be wondering, do we need an office at all? But you're a huge advocate of the workstation. Let's see. <clears throat> How would I best address that? Um, the thing that would bother me the most, not many things bother me, but the thing that would bother me the most would be for my wife or my dogs or somebody to walk in and rearrange my workspace. Because then when I sit down to work, I've got an idea. <clears throat> Here's what I need to do. I sit down. I don't want to have to rework my workspace in order to utilize or to manifest or to take advantage of that idea. I need to sit down and hit the road running. Right. So <clears throat> if you can sit down and hit the road running wherever you are, Hey, cool. You're fine. That's fine. You just need to make sure that your systems are set up so you can do that. Right. So <clears throat> that's why, you know, my workspace, if you looked at my workspace, pretty, pretty much the same thing over the last 20 or 30 years, you'll see several baskets that look like in baskets on my right hand side. And you'll see a little standing file rack over here of files that I, I throw stuff into almost daily, you know, <clears throat> receipts from one of my two businesses, you know, that I've, that I need to print out because my accountant sometimes wants to see them. And it's a lot easier to see the, the printed hard copy than it is to try to go re reconfigure all the PDFs on the computer. Right. So these things right at hand are, are right there. You know, how to control my shades on my blinds right now. That control is right there. How to, my underfloor heating control is right here. You know, all, all that stuff, salt, because I often take my lunch, you know, into my desk while I, while I'm looking at some longer form kind of things. I just kind of want to enjoy while I'm having lunch, but sometimes my wife doesn't put as much salt as I like. So I can't. So, so <laughs> she doesn't know about that. You've hidden she, that. that. No, no, no. She knows. She, she, she knows about it and, you know, and stapler and scotch tape and, and, you know, my bank access thing that I need to get to. So I, I just got all this stuff around me, but I need that so that I don't have to think about any of that. All I need to do is work, think, enjoy, do whatever I want to do and feel like doing. So it depends, on, obviously, on the complexity of your life and also your own personal style. You know, um, uh, who's the, the designer um, who does beautiful socks? He's a Brit. Uh, uh, Paul. Oh, oh, forget it. Yeah. Anyway, Paul Smith is it Smith? Paul Smith, yes. Yeah. Paul Smith. And you know, apparently his office is full of nothing but but playthings and and animals and whatever. And that's absolutely fine because he likes that kind of environment to help him sort of think and be creative. So there's no rule about you know what your environment or your ecosystem for work needs to be or look like. It just needs to be something so that you don't have to rethink how you work to sit down to work. That's why. You know, that's why, you know, I had the, you know, my sort of railing against open office or hoteling or whatever you, where you don't have your space and it's okay. I have my space here now, you know, before the pandemic, I was still traveling a whole lot. You know, I've spent a lot of my 75 years, you know, on the road uh, and doing a lot of stuff. So I'm pretty good road warrior. 
so I had my own personal system set up so that so that uh, you know everything I didn't have with me were my physical files, right? But everything else I could do, you know, as the life became more virtual, that was fine. So I could sit on a plane for ten hours to LA and still do the work that I needed to do. That was fine. So as long as you, you know, again, it's quite individual to people's work and the nature of their work and what they need to have at hand. What you don't want to have to do is to rethink something. What I don't do is emails on the phone. I don't do work on my iPad or my iPhone. Those are for my GPS and they're for, you know, you know sort of messing around while I'm in a line, you know, practicing Dutch, which I'm trying to learn, you know, things like that. But I don't try to do work on that small space. I need a much bigger real estate in order to be able to think and manage stuff because oftentimes I'm thinking of that and that reminds me of this. I need to go here, park that there. Let me go here because multitasking actually can be highly productive uh, and can be some of your most productive stuff to do. If I'm waiting for something to boot up on my computer or reboot, you know, I just you know set up an upgrade. If I set up an upgrade in in, in Microsoft, you know, for my Outlook systems. You know, God, that could take an hour, right? So how do I use that hour? Well, I'm ready. I could go over here. I could go do that or whatever. So being able to take advantage of the various kind of windows of time you have, I think has a lot to do with your workspace and how you set it up. And so you don't have to reconfigure it in order to work. You touched on stuff like the technology. We might come back to that when we're talking about capturing as part of the five-step process. But I mentioned you've updated the book, you've updated the system with a modern world in, in mind. And I found it really interesting that the GTD cockpit, if you want to call it that, your workstation, still includes a lot of physical tools, like you mentioned here. And I thought about the effect of priming, you know, on the brain as well, that gets you into that cognitive capacity, or this equals work when I come here. Uh, the salt cellar equals time to eat for me. But some of the tools I just wanted to mention, because they're still physical tools, pen, pencil, like you mentioned, post-its, paper clips, stapler and staples, scotch tape, rubber bands, automatic labeler, that one again, that magic tool, filed folders, a calendar, waste basket, waste basket and recycling uh, bins. And there's loads of other digital tools then you mentioned as well. I thought that was interesting, because that will be a mismatch for some people they'll be going we're a paperless office around here we you know all virtual etc etc but there is huge impact of the actual like i still like to use a physical diary to write down things because i feel it's more i trust it more there as well and i saw that coming through in the work i'd love your thoughts on this any of those people that think they did a little bit of paperless office i say okay let's take all the notes that you've taken on this on this project and who's been doing it and the various notes and collateral material that you need to then converse about and and walk in with your computer with that as opposed to printouts of all that stuff in a file folder for that project. You know, take your pick. And nobody's going to walk in and, and be able to be conscious about all that and see and manage it appropriately, you know, <clears throat> uh, unless they've got some physical particle that's a representation of that that they can see against other things. Quite frankly, there was no better tool for managing my life than the paper-based planner as a, as a single tool itself, simply because you can have <clears throat> multiple pages of all different kinds of things, but see them against each other very quickly. You can see the whole thing. I, I held the whole thing within a very cool leather binder. <clears throat> you could add stuff to it. You could then access to it. It's, it was right in your face. You can't do that. There's, there's no tool. <clears throat> I've never seen a tool yet on the computer that could do what that did. Now, there's good and bad news. I mean, what that didn't have was the ability to be able to link the digital copy and paste and to, you know, have multiple copies you could put in various places and, you know, and search and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a high tech guy as well. Most of my lists are high tech, but again, <clears throat> there's probably no better tool. As a matter of fact, I know a number of high tech people that have gone back to paper planners especially if they have the sort of ADD or ADHD kind of tendencies where they, they can be very easily distracted about all kinds of stuff. You take someone like that and as soon as you force them to hit more than about one key or one click to get into anywhere or to input something or to access something, they won't do it. They're too impatient. But paper-based was actually easier and more instant, more instantly available, fewer clicks, no clicks you know, necessary to get in and out of it. <clears throat> So again, very much, 
there's no right or wrong about any of that. It's more like, how are you wired? And what do you need to see so that you can see it quickly and, and effectively? And, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, I, you know I've got probably <clears throat> a quarter, maybe a fifth of the, of the paper-based files I used to have, you know, since PDFs showed up. You know, so fine, but I still have, you know, uh, I still have uh, uh, numerous files that I would not try to duplicate those digitally. Be too tough and too hard to then access or even to, to visualize. I feel the same. Like I, I'm pretty high tech, but I feel, and I think that's the word. I feel it's done when I actually can print it out, and like you said, receipts, all those kind of things. They're physically put in the right place and labeled correctly, etc. It's just a feeling of done that it's actually done versus in a virtual world. It's done because you might have to access it, and having to access it because it's in a physical place and organized physically in the right place where you can get to them all very fast. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back and my accountant says, by the way, you know, what did you do? I, we did, we seem to have missed something on that, whatever. And here's one of my businesses and here's expenses, 2021 quarter three, right? And every one of those things is printed out in hard copy. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back into that and pull two of those and then just peed it, you know, and then scan them and send them back to my accountant. You know, that'd be almost impossible to do. You know, yeah. in 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 you know in any kind of time frame that this just is so easy to do, right? Yeah. So again, yeah, it's just it's back to you know if you're prejudiced about any of this, you think paper if you think paper is better than digital, there there's a prejudice there too. I I thought I mean I constantly thought of uh, the Einstein story about not knowing his own phone number because he didn't want to waste cognitive capacity on that or Steve Jobs wearing the same outfit all every day because he didn't want to think about that those kind of ideas came to mind where you're like just have it in a place you know where it is so you don't have to think about it make it a habit that's actually helping you use your cognitive capacity elsewhere but let, let's share the five-step process for those who don't know it there's no matter what the setting, virtual or physical, whatever you want to call it, there are five discrete stages that we go through as we deal with our life or work, and they're consistent inputs and changes. Let's share some of these at a top level, David, maybe starting with capture itself. Well, let me give you the whole five. Basically, it's you need to capture, which is identify stuff that's got your attention, and then clarify, decide specifically what it means, and then therefore, based upon what it means, step three is then organize, then uh, put this, the stuff where it goes once you've thought about what now this stuff means to me that has my attention. And then step four is make sure you step back and reflect on the contents of, you know, the, uh, of whatever all those things are uh, in, in their appropriate context. And then step five is then engage your attention, your focus, your activity based upon a, an overview of all that stuff. So you're making trusted choices. So it's capture, clarify, organize, reflect and engage. And I'll unpack those in a little more detail if you want. But I didn't make those up. I just identified them. And create the process then behind them. I wanted to say one thing before we do go a bit deeper into those, David, actually, which is you mentioned that you were a road warrior because I said to you, you know, I, I started off off air. I was like, well done, man. You hit, a, you hit a killer book straight off the bat. You know, unbelievable bestseller, globally sold, reprinted time and time again. And you're like, oh, hey, man, I, I absolutely paid my dues. And you really formulated the process through that road warrior stage of your life. I'd love to share a little bit of that background and, you know, the experience you had getting to the best-selling book. Well, I didn't, want, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, uh, basically, until I was in my 30s. You know, so I sort of banged around and did a lot of, I thought I was going to be an academic. I was, in, I was a history major, got into graduate school in, in American intellectual history in Berkeley in 68. And uh, then discovered that I got more interested in my own enlightenment than anybody else's. So I dropped out of graduate school, said academia is not where I'm going to find that, I don't think. And then got a black belt in karate, meditation, spiritual explorations, you know, all kinds of gurus and people I met. And just more, to, who am I? And what is all this thing about? God, truth, and the universe it was my really my focus. I was not never particularly entrepreneurial or aspirational materially, you know, about any of that. <laughs> but again, they weren't paying people to do that. So I had to have a job to pay the rent. 
And I had a number of friends who seemed to know what they were doing materially, and they were starting businesses, had their own small enterprises and so forth. And I became a good number two guy. So I helped a lot of people sort of in their businesses. I just walk in and go look around and say, how much easier can we do this? Because I'm Mr. Lazy. I just look, whatever. <laughs> now they call that process improvement. I just said, how, how, how much earlier can we leave today? <clears throat> you know. And so I'd help them. I'd kind of look at how they were doing. I'd say, well, there's probably a better, easier way to do that. And I would just come up with some improvement to their process. And then they'd fix it. And then I'd get bored. And I'd go find it. I'd leave, go find another job. Then I discovered one day they call people something that do that and they pay them. It's called consultant, right? Gee, couldn't spell it. Now I are one. So then 1982, hung out my shingle, Allen Associates. I said, okay, well, let me see if I can just sort of sell myself on a project by project basis. And, uh, but again, again, I've never had any formal traditional education in time management, productivity, or business. This is all just street smarts for me. But also because I had that background in the martial arts, particularly in spiritual meditation practices that, uh, how to, that staying clear was really had an important uh, priority for me. My life got more complex. I was whatever I was discovering techniques for myself. So how do I stay clear as my life is getting busier? And then I turned around and used those same techniques with my consulting clients, and turned out it produced the same results for them: more clarity, more space, more freedom, more control. Hey, I said that's that's cool. So essentially, the process I came up with for myself became sort of the integral process of my consulting. And then some head of HR in a big corporation saw what I was doing and said, gee, David, we need those results in our whole company. Can you design some sort of a training around what you've come up with here? And I said, mm, I'll try. <clears throat> I did, and it was quite successful. And you know, suddenly thrust me, and that was, this is Lockheed, 1983-84. We did a pilot program for 1,000 managers and executives. And it was so successful, I found myself thrust into the corporate training world you could have fooled me if you'd have told me as an American, <laughs> as an American intellectual history major in Berkeley in 1968 that I was being in the corporate training world. I'd say, "What are you smoking, God? You know, you know, who are you kidding?" But it turned out that was the audience that was ripe for what I came up with, and I found myself thrust into it. So from '83 to, golly, till 1997, when I decided to then write the book. I literally spent thousands of hours, literally thousands of hours. So, you know, just, just by referral, I never did any marketing, never did any of that. It was just people heard about it. People were married to somebody who took a training in Lockheed and they worked for another company. And they said, God, we need this in our company. It was all sort of referral based. And my, my consulting turned into more coaching for senior people in these companies. Once they took the seminar or heard about what I was doing, they said, can you help me at my desk? And so I spent thousands of hours, quite literally, desk side 101 with some of the best and busiest people you'd ever meet on the planet, actually implementing this methodology and refining it based upon that experience. And that's why I say it took me 25 years you know, to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique and that nobody else had done it. And then I got some really good coaching that I should write the book, you know, in case I got run over by a bus, yeah. somebody at some, at some point would have figured this out maybe, but. I said, okay, let me see. And I had no idea whether anybody reading the book would get it. I just had to write it down so that I could say, okay, let me, if I were going to write the manual of what I've learned in my 25 years, <clears throat> what would I want people to know? And that's the first edition. You know, it took me four years to, to, to write it and get it published from 97 to 2001. <clears throat> and that was quite a feat. I almost, yeah, became an al I almost became an alcoholic writing a book about stress-free productivity. <laughs> Trying to write a book while you're, you know, you know, got a day and a half day job all day doing all this other work, you know, crazy. The book is peppered with beautiful quotes, by the way. I, lo I love that process of putting quotes in that kind of encapsulate the thought that's coming or has just happened. And, and I saw one there by William Blake, I must create a system or be enslaved by another man's. And that's essentially what you did. You're like, oh, look, this is the best way I see this work in here. I'm going to give this to the world. And it's, it's a great story, man. And, and, you know, all the road warrior uh, days paid off uh, big time. So I'm delighted to see that. It's a great, it's great for anybody who's thinking that way out there, listening to the show as well. And, and, you know, the other thing was the martial arts, because at the start, you talk a lot about that, about how the martial artists, you know, the whole, whole idea of reaction, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe we'll share some thoughts on that, because that absolutely influenced this book. The mindfulness folks that are popular these days, you know, you know, say, focus on your breathing, you know, get present, you know, whole idea is being present. I learned that 40 years ago, getting my black belt, believe me. I mean, a lot of that work 
had a lot to do with how do you clear your mind and a lot of meditative kind of practices. There, you know, for some people there are spiritual components to that, but very practical component. If four people attack you, surprise you in a dark alley, you do not want two thousand unprocessed emails hanging around your psyche, right? You need to be clear, and you need to be clear, and you need to be clear, and you need to be that's done and that's done, and now what? And you need to be have a have sort of situational awareness, which is their teaching in the military now. How do you get really clear very fast to them to trust your intuitive judgments? Because you don't have time to think. You need to have already thought. You don't have time to practice. You need to have already practiced. And so that whole idea of being ready, you know, people say, oh, gee, David, you got a black belt. That's not very lazy. Yeah, but I could walk across the room with less effort than most people. Right. So there is a there is a kind of an investing so that you don't have to work hard. Yeah. And that's a lot of what GTD is. As you know, Aiden, this doesn't come easy to be a, you know, to really implement GTD as a full practice, you know, in terms of your life. So let's share a couple of the the lower hanging fruit, because there's lots of low hanging fruit. And I, I love this. You're kind of going, look, you won't put everything into into practice. There's no way. But even if you pick up a few useful tools, because this is one thing you say about a lot of those successful people you've worked with, they often have some tools that just work for them. For example, defer or deal with something. Those kind of ideas. If you can do it in two minutes, do it. Maybe we'll share some of those low-hanging fruit tools that people can use. Well, first of all, you need to capture stuff that got your attention. Otherwise, that's going to take more of your attention than it deserves. Cat food, write it down. You know, vice president, write it down. Get that stuff out of your head. So that's the first step. And as you know, that's a, a critical first step. And it takes people really a while to do that if they really catch this. Most professionals take one to six hours for them to really empty their head of all the stuff that has their attention, if you include personal profession. So once you get your head empty, then you need to go through the clarify step, which is take each one of the things as we talked earlier and say, okay, what's the next action on this? If there is an action on it, it may not be. It might be reference material. It might be trash. It might be something to say, no, no action now, but let me incubate that, park it somewhere, and then remind myself later. So those are the non-actionable stuff, but the actionable things we say, yeah, there's something I need to do about cat food or about the vice president. Then what's the next action on it? Make that decision very discreetly. Is that an email to send, a conversation to have, a website to serve, uh, an errand to run? What's the specific thing? And will that one action finish whatever that commitment is? And if not, then what's the project that you need to then identify and track until it's finished? So action and outcome become the, the outcome thinking of the clarification step. That's step two. And once you then decide those things, <clears throat> so again, as we mentioned before, all you had to do is write stuff down that got your attention, decide action and outcome, and then have some sort of organizational system that you then park that stuff into. So you trust you'll see it at the right time in the right context. And those are the things you need to do to sort of get your stuff off the mind. But that's how, that's these five steps really is about identify it. And come on, anybody listening or watching this, have you, have you ever had your cooking area, your kitchen area out of control? You came home and it's like, oh my God, it's like it's been attacked, you know, but you got friends coming over or you want to create a nice dinner for your family or whatever. Oh my God, what's the first thing that happens? First thing you is you notice what's off. That's the capture step. I, you know, there's a lot of things in the kitchen that don't have your attention, but what does is the stuff that's not where it needs to be the way it needs to be. So you identify that. That's the capture step. Then what do you do? Well, then you decide, well, wait a minute. Is that a dirty dish? Is that a spice? Is that a clean dish? Is that good food? Is that bad food? You're clarifying the nature of those things that are off or not where they need to be the way they need to be. So once you then clarify that's bad food, where's then what do you do? You organize. Bad food goes there. Good food goes back in the fridge. Spices go where spices go. You know, da 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 so you organize then things that you recognize, what they based upon what they were to put them in their appropriate places. And then what'd you do? You reflected, you stepped back, looked at the whole scenario, looked at your watch, they're coming over in an hour. Okay. And then you engage. You say, let me go pull out some butter to, you know, saute our appetizers. So this is the five. I didn't make this up. I recognize what you do. If you're going to get your kitchen under control, but it's also what you do if you want to get your consciousness under control. Just though very people, very few people really do that. Everybody does it to some degree. Everybody knows how to write something down. Everybody knows how to decide some next action if they have to decide that. 
everybody knows how to keep a list. Everybody knows how to look at a list. If you're anybody looking at a calendar to know to hang out with you and me at this time, they already are looking at a list. Their, their brain can't do it. They've already said, yeah, let me go look at my external brain piece here and see where to, what to do when. And then they engage, they're, they're looking at us. All right, so capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. That's how you take any situation or any enterprise or any situation and get it from not quite as under control as it needs to be to under control. One of the things you say, and this will resonate with so many people, it absolutely did for me, is you said most people feel best about their work the week before they go on vacation because it's it's not the it's not the vacation itself. It's actually that they clarify and they organize everything before they go away. The the concept here you imparted is really valuable, and that process actually is just that was magic for me. It was just like, well, that's it, and and then this process is just an ongoing version of that. Um, one of the things I, I really wanted to focus on was just from an innovation perspective. So you've worked with some of the best minds in the world, best business owners, and the things you've noticed from them, what you've gleaned from them. One of them was actually they wanted to get this whole the GTD model in place so they could actually focus on that, like you said, so they weren't wasting cognitive capacity on that. But it was then developing time to work on these more longer term, less urgent projects. What were your findings from working with those people? Well, not only finding more time, but finding the right people to delegate the right things to. But see, you're not going to give away anything you can't control. So building your own personal systems so you can control what you give away, so you can track what you're expecting from your directs or from your chief of staff or from whatever, was a whole lot of what a lot of these people started to gain from this. Was the ability to feel like I can now appropriately give away a lot of things that were eating me up because I can now trust my chief of staff or my executive assistant to now handle this because I feel like I can control monitoring how well he or she is doing how, how soon. And then I'm getting back what I'm expecting them to get back, get, get back to me about. Because a lot of, you know, probably in terms of the innovation space from the most successful entrepreneurs and CEOs, you know, that I've worked with. It was a lot of it was their ability to delegate more and to trust more and then to be a lot more rigorous with holding their own people accountable for these same kinds of things. One of the things there, say, right, the level up. So that say that's Jeff Bezos, for example, he owns the company. I don't know this for sure, but somebody told me because they, they met him in Mexico and they said he is a GTD. He is. Uh, that's, he is. He, he is. He is. <laughs> uh, that's, he is. He, no, but he, he says what you said. I, I I don't know that. Yeah, no, but he he says what you said. He, he he actually says, if if somebody in my organization is pulling me into the present, I'm not doing my job. I haven't delegated properly. And as you said that, I thought of it. I, mean, I bet you, David was sitting beside Jeff Bezos for years, <laughs> helping him with his work. That came to mind. And you also said the most successful business people in the world. But the whole idea was that oftentimes they're measured on themselves and they don't want to let go of those things themselves they don't want to delegate and that's a huge huge challenge i'm sure you've seen a bit of that as well that's that's a timeless management issue you're you're you know it's the it's the kind of thing you get you get promoted because you're really good at something but you're then promoted into something you're not really good at and so to feel comfortable you slide back down into what you got promoted doing and so you know being able to let go of what you did well with people who may not have be doing it quite as well as you would do them that's a huge challenge. It's always been, that's a universal challenge, you know, for people sort of graduating professionally, you know, in that regard. So, yeah, yeah, you, you, it's like your, your willingness to, to step into unknown territory and trust people. Uh, but again, you will not give away something you don't feel you can still control. And so that's why people so resist so much the delegation because they don't trust their own personal process to control it. You know, the giveaway. I have an end quote, I tried to finish with a quote that I love from the book, there were so many from the book, but I, I pulled one, I'm going to read that. And I'd love you to finish today's show then afterwards. But before I read this quote, and then let you finish the show, maybe with your final message for people or your kind of legacy message that you want people to live a better life, whatever it is, where can people find out more about you and about GTD? Well, I'll go to gettingthingsdone.com. That'll give you, you know, an overview of our stuff free podcast, free newsletter. You can sign up for that. Uh, 
Uh, also, <clears throat> depending on where you are in the world, uh, you know, we now have licensees and, and partners, you know, that we've certified to deliver both our training and coaching, you know, in deeper levels about all this stuff around the world. 90 countries actually now we've represented it. So, you know, if you're in Ireland, if you're in the UK, our friend Next Action, you know, associates, you know, out of London, they do UK and Ireland. And, and uh, they, they, anyway, you can go to look, just click on training and coaching when you go to our site and type in your country and you'll see who's who's doing public seminars and coaching and so forth around our stuff. That's one way to do it. Also go to gettingthingsdone.com slash YouTube and you're going to see me, all my three TEDx talks. You're going to see gazillion you know, S, you know, podcasts that I've done and so forth. So if you want to sort of hear me talk about the same things over and over and, but in many different ways, uh, you know, you can, you can go check that out if you like to see the audio visual, you know, kind of versions of, of this material. So all those are ways to kind of stay in touch with the material or maybe do a deeper dive for yourself. And I'm going to quote this and then I'm going to hand over to you for your final word. So I, I love this line, you said an additional aspect of the, this future thinking dynamic is the value of staying immensely flexible and informal about goal setting. Positive future thinking is critical and fabulous, but it's most effectively manifested when it's tied to a confidence of execution in the material world with responsiveness and course correction built in. This idea about being clear on where you're going, but flexible about getting there. I thought that was a beautiful line that is so valuable in the world we're living in today. David, over to you. What's your final word for our audience? Our mission with this work is that we create a world where there are no problems, only projects, or that problems are perceived as projects, not then only as problems. So, you know, pandemic problem. Yeah. What's the project? What do you now need to do? You know, given the changes in the world that's going on, and we could get a world where people step back into the driver's seat instead of being victimized or complaining then, you know, that's going to improve the planet a ton, no matter who gets it. You know, as a matter of fact, anytime any of you get this in any more way than you're currently doing it, it's going to affect every single intersection you have the rest of your life and will improve them too. So have at it. It's fun. It's easy, not hard. And, uh, you know, God bless. Author of Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. It's been an absolute pleasure. David Allen, thank you for joining us. Aiden, thanks for the invitation. This was fun. Hopefully useful for all of you listening.